Hey, this is Shayla Miller, and you're listening to The Northern Report. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to The Northern Report. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on The Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Shayla Miller. Shayla's Joan Jett vibe, songwriting chops, and outstanding vocal tone could have put her on a number of paths, but she's never bowed to the constant, overwrought, attention-seeking bombast so common to today's country radio. As one of the Canadian Prairie Underground's most respected independent artists, Shayla Miller is playing the music she wants to, adding the elements that progress her vision while firmly grounded in that go-to sound that generation after generation grew up with on AM radio and single cab farm trucks. She writes swing and shuffles, sweet yearning songs depicting both the good times and the hard times. The kind of songs that only get written by someone who's lived every minute of them. It was great to catch up with my buddy Shayla and interrogate her about her brand new record, Big Hair, Small City, and the interesting journey that's led her there. Friends, I hope you'll enjoy my chat with Lethbridge, Alberta's Shayla Miller. So was that your first show the other day, like in a long while? Yeah, we did one the weekend, last weekend too. In Milo, the Lilo Music oh, Festival. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And that was crazy. And that was our first gig back. And it was, you know, we were ready for it. We'd rehearse for it and stuff. But it was 35 degrees. And they had the stage set up in the sun. Oh, man. And, you know, I play like a really old harmony. It's like 1962 harmony. Yeah, probably didn't it, like, like that. melted on the stage. Like, and yeah. I didn't even think about it like i've played it at outdoor hot summer days many many times but i don't know if it just because it hadn't been conditioned to it from not playing it outdoors for so long Mm -hmm. that it just like first song in it was my brand new single first song on our sellers boom and it was like so (laughs) out of tune i was like holy shit but then the set before me this guy chris was playing with the torchettes and his amp blew on stage so he used my amp so as soon as my guitar flubbed up and I was like oh great I was like I just looked at him in the audience I'm like hey I need your guitar (laughs) he ran right up (laughs) ran up gave me his Gretsch and then his guitar was it stayed in tune and was great the whole set but you know when that kind of thing happens it kind of throws off your mojo a little bit and so it wasn't yeah it wasn't feeling like the the comeback show that I was really really after it was I was feeling a little off and took me about four or five songs to shake it off, you know. But then when we played in Calgary at the King Eddie on July 1st, it was amazing. And I gave myself shivers with my own voice all up and down my legs. It was like 38 degrees outside and I was like cold on stage from like giving myself goosebumps. I've literally never done that before. It was crazy. You were playing uh, acoustic guitar in the photos that I saw. I played both. I played acoustic and electric. And when we do five piece, I kind of swap between it. Yeah. A little bit. But um, yeah, Taylor was playing, Taylor Ackerman was playing electric, like lead. 
And so when when I have a lead player, then I then I will play acoustic. But my electric playing is even though I don't play lead, it's very like part of my sound. Big time. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I when when I don't have a lead player, I feel like it's lacking in that. Even though I well, I do have Ryan on steel, but you know what I mean. When I don't mm-hmm. have a you know how it is like if you're playing with grant and if he's not there or whatever if you don't have your lead guitar player playing those licks that you're used to or even just having the chuggy the chuggy motion of the country electric guitar tone it just feels like it's lacking so but anyway yeah it 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 also is way too much when there's three electric guitars on stage whether it be two electric guitars and a steel or whatever right so it's nice to have the acoustic round out the sound. Do you got do you have a lot coming up like the rest of the summer or what's what's the plan here with the record? Yeah, I have a couple like um private stuff and then a couple more festivals I'm going into BC for a couple we're doing the Golden Opry and Golden and the Revelstoke Festival and so we've got enough I've got enough booked up for the summer that I'm not booking any more gigs. Mm-hmm. And then, so the album's officially out online July 9th, but I'm not going to have physical copies until late September. So we're going to do Edmonton, Calgary, and Lethbridge like the last week of September and first week of October. Okay, cool. Just the bigger, yeah, so, bigger places. Yeah, we're just doing that. Like, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to go anywhere right now i don't know if that's i think part of it has been the pandemic and slowing down and stuff it's given me that perspective that's like with being a mother of two and and working as well just i don't know puts it it just gave it that perspective it's like man unless i'm getting paid like a lot of money like i'm not going out of province and we are getting paid a lot of money to go to BC. (laughs) So we're going, but like, if we're not getting paid, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of time if we lived in Europe and it was two hours here or there, but I, I, every time I sit in the car for like six to six, any, anywhere over five hours, actually, I get kind of angry. Like I'm like, I'm enjoying my people that I'm around. I'm enjoying as much as I can because I'm not going to be a sourpuss sitting in the car and I'm going to enjoy my time. But in my mind, I'm like, what are my kids doing right now? Who are they with? I know who they're with, but are they enjoying that time with grandma? They could be with me right now. I wonder what they're having for lunch. How much screen time are they getting? You know, like I keep thinking about all this stuff that's just going on and on in my head. And then instead it's like, what, where's the scales here? Like I love playing music and I want my music career to do well and I want to continue to do it. But when it comes to sacrificing like the happiness of me as a mother and my kids, it's like, I have to, it has to be worthwhile. I'm not just going to go and play at small town bars anymore on the way out to Saskatoon or Winnipeg to make it worthwhile. And I've never been like a road dog that goes like for two weeks at a time over and over again throughout the year, but I've done my fair share of little two week jaunts or like four days here, three days there, four days here, three days here, wherever I can do it as a mother, but I can't do it anymore. So I'm like, you know, I guess I can, but I don't want to, like, I'm just, kind of over it so i'm just thinking like if i'm you know if someone's telling yeah come play this 
this Canadian city for this amount of money and we'll do this for you. Then it's like, okay, I can do that, but I'm not searching for it anymore. I'm just done with that. If they want to give me lots of money. I'll be there. Well, you're fortunate in Alberta in that, like there's a few sort of hotter markets where people will pay a good ticket price to come see your show and you'll fill the room, you know, two or three times a year if you want. And like, exactly. you know, that's pretty fulfilling. And like, and like you said, you know, for the folks that would be listening that don't live in Canada, it's like, it is really hard to tour here because your drives are long. Most places, you know, sort of quote unquote uh, worth playing are far away. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to, you have to really want to eat shit, I guess, or be okay doing certain things. Have you ever thought about bringing your kids with you? Not really. Like I, I mean, I've, I have brought them for like certain festivals and stuff and it's fun. And, but it's only at, at the festivals like around here where I know that I'll have someone to be there with them while we're playing. And Jackson, my son's old enough now that he can find his own little Lord of the Flies things to do while we're playing. It's like he goes and causes shit in the swamp or whatever. Like, I don't care. He comes back to me with mud and scratches on his face and he's just higher higher on life than anything I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, okay, good. You're having fun. You're just a little dirty. That's okay. But Lucy, my daughter, is still pretty young, so it's like you know, in a couple years, we would consider maybe bringing them to you know, festivals and stuff that are further out that I don't have to worry exactly about them. Even, you know, how it is, you're only on stage for an hour at a time or something like that at at that. But I, I couldn't do it on the road more, I guess, equal parts because I don't want to be like, it's, that's a lot to think about. Like, you know how it is as a performer, you're trying to plan, you know, just be your best and, and do things, the way you want them done. And then also to be parenting at the same time, it's uh that's a lot. And then oh, yeah. worrying about them and stuff, but then also me worrying about like, they should be in school right now, or what am I keeping them from? And, Oh, this is that thing in eight or 10 years, they're going to resent me for it and be like, you did this. And while I, while I know that I'm giving them a cool experience, I'm also keeping them from, their friends or, you know, stuff like that. So it's never really been an option for me to, to bring them around. So, Hey, no, no, uh, whatever. I'm not trying to insult people who do do that, but for no, me, it just yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. I've been t- in two bands where, uh, where babies and children were on the road with us and it's, it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And those kids, like they're not, I don't know if they're a baby, that's one thing. They don't know any different. All they need is mommy's like, warmth and and nurturing and whatever and sleep and they're they're okay but it's probably not as easy for the band when the baby's crying or when mom's on stage or or whatever that's one thing when they're babies i think that's i would have done that maybe but at the i'm 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 a bit of a stress case and i don't think i could deal with that to be honest so the official day for the uh, for the streaming and, st- and people can purchase digital copies of Big Hair, Small City on Friday, July 9th. Yep, you got it. Um, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and I appreciate you uh, sending me a copy of it a little while ago. I've, and I really kind of dug in extra hard there the last couple of days while I was awesome. uh, digging around. Uh, it sort of seems like to me that it... Uh, 
it it has the same sort of rawness and the same attitude that bad ideas has but it and it kind of you know picks up where it le- leaves off but it feels a little bit more refined and a little bit more like assured and mature for the lack of a better word uh is that fair cool. to say you think well that's nice i guess so um Honestly, if someone just interviewed me the other day and they asked me a similar question but didn't, like, I don't know. And I was, they were like, does, how does it differ or something? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but you <laughs> said it in a nice way. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if anything, I basically said to the other guy, I'm like, I think it's kind of the same same thing he's like is your sound changed and i'm like i don't think so (laughs) question mark like maybe but if anything like you said maybe it's just like refined and um uh whatever (sighs) matured i guess yeah i think i i i wrote most of the songs in a songwriting club that i know you know about that i've been in a, a part of a songwriting club for the last two years and i have to pay a 100 bucks if i don't write a song every month which Mm -hmm. i've actually in 2021 kind of slipped out of a bit but for two years i was doing that every single month and a lot of the songs were written like in a frantic like it's like oh no it's january 31st or whatever i gotta (laughs) i gotta do this it's like that thing where and then I think my best work in my whole life of songwriting has always come when there's a deadline. So in the club, that that's how I work. It would be like the last day of the month and I'd be like, oh, no. And then I usually hate the song and then I start loving it. So most of the songs on the record are from that. So they were put like they were written in a position of like. I got to do this. I got to do this. There's these people are counting on me. They need me to play, write these songs because we're all, you know, trying to encourage each other to write, even if it's not good, just write because you can and, and, you know, flex that creative muscle because you have it, even if you're not writing something that's like, you know, outstanding, like you can still write a song, but then, I'm just going to say I mostly wrote outstanding songs (laughs) and I was really happy about. So when I was picking the album songs, um, that's where they came from. So I don't know if that's where the more refined, mature writing came from in the past, like with bad ideas. Some of those songs were written like over the course of four years because I'd had my daughter and taken a break. Well, I had Jackson took a break, played with Treeline for a while then I had Lucia and I took a break. And then when I, once she was a couple years old, I was like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm going back in. No tree line, full on Shayla Miller music coming at you once again for the first time in like seven years of like doing the little, little mummying, like the mm. littles, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then I was like, I took the bull by the horns, as they say, and was like, I'm going to do this. But during that bad idea, when I recorded bad ideas, those songs were like, I'd been playing them live for like some of them for like four or five years. So they were kind of older. So with Big Hair, Small City, all those songs were written within a year. Like I got a grant to make the album and I was like, oh shit. And then I was like, I better dig into my, my phone of like these shitty phone recordings of these songs I've been writing for song club. And sometimes I'd write a song and I'd be like, oh, that sucks. And then I would like listen to it three months later. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so down. That song is so good. Those lyrics are beautiful. <laughs> like, So how different are the songs 
like from the like how different are they now like the final recorded version from the you know the last minute right so, that you did some of them are like identical sean like i want to post i've actually wanted to post uh the original i so so far of this album i have four singles out and the originals of 700 and um the devil and you are like almost identical like the the version of 700 on my phone has one extra verse that I cut out because it was too long and I didn't really give a shit about it. So it was gone. And then Devil and You is literally identical. But then there's songs like Big Hair, Small City, which is the single of the album, the title track, I mean, of the album was written on my out of tune piano that I was like, I'm not that good of a piano player. I can play synth a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can, <laughs> but when I play piano, like I'm like, I kind of, it sounds like kind of like someone's drunkenly playing like the honky tonk piano at the back of the bar and they're way too drunk. So yeah. I was like, just, that's kind of like the vibe I was going for, for the song. So when you hear that, it's like, it's actually pretty funny because I wouldn't probably share it with anyone because my piano was so out of tune and I can't sing and play that well at the same time of piano either. So People will so, buy that anyway. shit from you. People will pay for that. <laughs> yeah, Don't maybe I'll put away. all those out. Yeah. So you like you basically, you know, you, you kind of put it off to the last minute and, and you write the song the day or so before you got to send it in. Are you writing, like, you know, you said you wrote one on piano or whatever, but are you typically writing with your guitar or are you just writing lyrics or how does that work for you? I always write on guitar. I'm almost always, except for Big Hair Small City. <laughs> yeah. But I pretty much, I'd say like 99% of the time I am writing on my acoustic. Sometimes, much more than this, that song, which is coming out on the record, that was written on electric. And I was going through a hard time. And my kids were gone. They were at their dad's. And I was having a real hard time at the time. And I... I never do this and I don't care who listens to this and judges me because I can be judged by whoever wants to judge me. But I was sitting there and it was like 5 p.m. I never smoke in my house, but I was smoking in my house, drinking bottles of wine, had my electric guitar plugged in. And I was just like loud. I didn't even a microphone set up. <laughs> I wrote that like that. But most of the time it's just, you know, kids are in school. I have the day off. And I'm alone in my living room with my acoustic on the couch. But sometimes it goes into the much more than this realm. And I super love that song. I think it's one of the best songs on the record. So it's kind of cool that came out. How did you write before the kids and before the, you know, responsibilities of, you know, uh, this age? I guess at that point I would have been like a young songwriter then and, and, I'm sure you know as a songwriter too that they flow out of you at a younger age. For me anyway, it, when I was like 16, I started writing songs and I was writing like eight to 10 songs a year without even trying. It was just like, yeah, they just were like falling out of me, like constantly writing, writing, writing. And I was starting to perform and it was just the excitement of everything and like, oh, I need a new song for this next show or whatever, you know, stuff like that. And I was playing a lot locally at that time because I was so young and fresh in the scene. So when you're playing locally, you have to have new material all the time or they're just, you know, it's just another same set Shayla Miller show that no one wants to see. So I was always trying to write and write and write to have new material to show off and, you know, get the accolades for. So <laughs> I was writing a lot. 
What's that? The glory, the local glory. Yeah, the glory. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, I was writing a lot. And then I had Jackson, I was 23 when I got pregnant. So I was pretty young and, and then it kind of shifted because, you know, as, as it does, when you become a parent, you have to time manage a little differently. And, and then I was probably only doing like three or four songs a year. And that was when, and it, it continued that way. And then there was a time when I think I only wrote like one or two songs in a year for like two years in a row. And I, I got really hard on myself. I'm like, I'm not even a songwriter anymore. Like this is so dumb. And then when, when skinny Dick, our friend, he uh, started a songwriting club and started doing this $100 a month thing. That's just so trivial, but it's enough. It's just like, it's just like having a workout buddy. It's like, you're, you're um, what's the word to each other. I can't think of the word right like now. You're holding each other accountable uh, on some level. Accountable. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like a little accountability buddy that it's like, it's not even about if the song's good or not. It's just like, Hey, I did it. You can do it too. And, and that, that really helped me and realize that like, and that Grace Askew, do you know who that is? She's like uh, a Tennessee Memphis gal. Yeah, I do. I started following her and she was while she was doing her a song a day journey Holy and that shit. just like blew my mind and that was why <laughs> that was when I actually decided to do the club it was like if she can write a song a day and I was listening to them every day like I would wake up in the morning listen to her song and I was like oh that song was okay but it was a song and then sometimes it was like the song would bring me to tears and sometimes the song was like I didn't really like that one that much but it was still a whole song and she wrote it front to back yeah. in a sitting and then she would do certain sittings where you just sit down and she would go through her songwriting process with you and I'm like as a songwriter, I mean, whoever's watching this, like who's watching this if it's not songwriters? I don't know. Yeah. Like who's that interested in it? I don't really know. But I would watch it as a songwriter and I'm like, that's exactly how I write songs. <laughs> and it's just funny to be like, this lady's doing it every freaking day. Like I think I can do one a month. Like, <laughs> hello. And then so that was really what did it. And so there she is. And I've told her that too. We've talked. I'm like, you know, nice. you really inspired me. Song song a month is what I can do, but thanks for your song a day. How about uh, how about co-writing? Is that something that you've done much of, or or have any interest in doing? I've done very little, and I have very little interest in it. I just feel like I I don't know how to. Uh, I don't. I I guess I'm intimidated by it. I don't really have. I get really. I mean, you know, and anyone who listens to my music can probably feel that it's very personal. And to sit down and co-write a song with someone and have it not be personal, I feel like it takes the the art out of it maybe for me a little bit. Or I, I get maybe self-conscious, like if I throw out a, a personal idea or lyric and I, I, you know, I guess I get nervous about that kind of thing. That's always been important to you to to draw from the personal experience? Oh, absolutely. I do 100%. Yeah, and I used to be scared to admit that and be like, "Well, that song could be about anybody." But like, I think you, anyone who really knows me or listens to my music, even if they don't know me personally, but know my music, can tell that it's like I put my heart into it and all my passion. And if it wasn't about me, it probably 
would have a harder time doing that. I actually have talked to Ryan about that before about you. And, and I think that that's part of what really resonates with people is that they can feel that this is like a sincere sort of honest, you're digging deep, you know, about how you're feeling or experiencing a certain situation. And I think that comes across to people, whether they realize that or not with artists. Yeah. You know? Well, that's good. And I think that's a really big, it's a great, that's a huge compliment, seriously, because that's what I want. Is it hard though to, to, to get that vulnerable with people? Uh, I think it was at one point, but I just let it go. Like I actually overheard a fellow songwriter talking about me one night at the bar and I was not, I was just a table away and he didn't know I was there. And he said, someone was singing my praise and he said to them like, yeah, but her songs are just like so sad and they're all about the same thing. And I was pretty young at the time. I was maybe like 25 or 26. And I just really took it to heart and was like, he's right. And like, my songs are so sad and my songs are all about the same thing. And, and then it, that was actually the time that I was talking about earlier that I only wrote like two songs for like two years consecutively, like two songs a year. And it was like, I was so overthinking everything and, and trying to try new things. And like, what if I try and write a song about this or that? And I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I don't give a shit about this or that though. I like literally don't care. And I can't like put in my, and there's certain artists that I don't need to name, but there's certain artists that sing about random shit like that, that I just don't care about. And it's like, I don't want to hear about like agriculture or like, whatever i'm just like i don't care like it it you can be a great musician and i'll like tip my hat to you or whatever but i don't want to i'm not going to listen to your record like i'll maybe watch your live i might might watch your live show but i can't listen to like something that doesn't like speak to me so then i realized in the end it's like that's actually what people like me for. So that guy that said that stupid shit about me yeah. is just like, doesn't get it in the same way that I don't get trucks and agriculture and horses and shit. Like I don't get that shit. So like, I don't get it and I don't want to hear it and I'm not going to like get mad about it, but I'm not going to put it on my record player and I'm not going to buy it. I might dance to it and shit and be like, enjoy it, but I can't like put, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I gotta, yeah. So whoever like gets it, gets it. If they get it, I'm like a little bit like whatever, like I feel things hard and I wear it on my sleeve and I like to share it with everybody. And I know that uh, there's, a vast majority of the human race feels the exact same way or has at a time in their life. And it can resonate with, you know? Absolutely. So I let it go. Yeah. No, those are real feelings. And uh, so you, you, you included songs, uh, you've recorded an, a couple of skinny dick songs and, and then speaking of sad songs, uh, the, the king of misery, Carter Felker, uh, you oh, recorded one of his tunes. He, he, man, he sends me tunes like that he's working on and they're all fucking really good. And they're a lot <laughs> yeah. of the time they're so sad. I know. And he is such a mastermind of his words. He's like, fantastic. like yeah. the song I recorded, good woman. Like, I don't think he'll mind me saying this story, so I'll say it, but he, he wrote that from a woman's perspective so it kind of seems like it might be my song, 
or any woman's song, but he wrote it and he said, I don't think I want to record this. I, I, I think it would sound better from a woman. And I was picturing your voice belting out those big lines. And I really just want to send it your way. And I was like, the, the the version he sent me was so beautiful and it like made me cry. I'm like, Carter, like actually hearing a man sing, I'm a good woman. Like it just like is so intense. So I hope he ends up recording it, but yeah, he, he can really, he can really dive into other people's emotions and his own emotions and create these beautifully sorrowful songs that just really touch you. I think he's one of the best songwriters I know. He uh, texted me the other day. He said, I uh, just finished listening to Shayla's record. My song is the worst one on there by far. Oh my gosh. I can't believe he said that. He's like, relax, buddy. Yeah, I was like, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. So, okay. I was wondering how it happened though. So he pitched you the song. How about Skinny's tune, uh, Tombstone Gray? That's a really nice song. And uh, I really dig what you guys did with it. Did he uh, try to sell you on that one or did you want to do it? No, honestly, Ryan, when I was um, trying to get my my album list together of what songs I was going to do, and he just said, do you want to do one of my songs again this time? Because I recorded one of his on the last one, Moaning on Bad Ideas. And he said, and I said, well, well, yeah, maybe. What song? And he said, I don't know, maybe Tombstone Gray. And I just was like, I like gasped and like put my hand over my mouth. And I was like, you'll let me record that on my record? And he was like, yes. I'm like, that's your best song. And he's like, do it. I'm like, okay. And yeah, he like gave it. I feel like he like allowed me, he, he gifted it to me because yeah. it's such a beautiful song that, and I've loved it for years and played it with Treeline when we were doing the, the mashup band thing. I played it with them and I, you know, that, that song it's just gorgeous and carter going back to what he said carter's dumb to say that he shouldn't have said that that song is beautiful and i felt like when i finished the record and listened to the songs back i felt a little bit this is just that songwriter bullshit that we go through i felt like oh skinny dick and carter Fulker's songs are the best ones on my record wah 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 like that's just how songwriters like feel like carter's song is beautiful i've sent it to so many of my girlfriends that are going through like hard breakups and stuff and they like crying and sending it back like responding saying like thank you i needed that so bad so i hope carter listens to this and hears that because that is that's real so you want to tell me uh, a little bit about where you guys made the record, who was involved? You mentioned Scott Franchuk. I've talked about Franny a lot, and I've, and I've enjoyed working with him as well. Um, so, yeah. So wh- where did you guys do it? Who was there? How did you do it? Go. Okay. Yeah. Um, Leroy Steger had a studio in Lethbridge called the Rebel Tone Ranch, and it's just three four doors down from my house he's now living in victoria but we were one of the last albums that was recorded in that studio and so that's kind of cool um but we just used his space because it was so close to us so i just i just messaged him and said hey i want to use um franny as my engineer because that's who i like working with is it possible for us to rent your space and he he said yeah no problem and he gave us a nice rate and we rented out the space for like eight days and we were walking back and forth. So, you know, we'd come back home to my house and I'd cook them fried chicken and then we'd go back and we'd, we'd sing all night and do the thing. It was really nice. And because it was so close, my kids were in like 
in there for part of it as well. And that's one thing about what you're going back to what we were talking about earlier about kids on the road. It's like, I can handle kids in the studio better than kids on the road. (laughs) (laughs) That was really nice. Like, and even Jackson, my son played a baritone part on Tombstone Gray. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we we were down at Leroy's Rebel Tone Ranch and Scott was engineering and I don't know who produced it. I guess we all did a little bit. Scott chimes in a little bit though, like in my experience, he he's not afraid to to, you know, share his his opinion and he's got a lot of experience making records. I don't know how much he does that oh, with yeah. you, but uh he's he's a reliable set of ears for sure. Mm-hmm. So he came down from Edmonton and engineered and and Scott Franchucky mixed it as well. Yeah, he mixed it. And then, um, oh no, don't ask me who mastered it, but someone mastered it. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember his name. And your core band who you're, uh, often kind enough to, uh, to let me pilfer from you when I'm out there, (laughs) Tyler Bird and Paul Holden, Skinny Dick. And and who was playing guitar on the record? Evan? Evan. Yeah. Evan Yushenko. So it's the same crew from Bad Bad Ideas, right? Same core band? Same exact core band. Yeah, I really, uh, I love Evan's playing. Yeah, he's got a real distinct sound and, and flavor for sure. He does. Yeah, so are you guys recording live off the floor typically, or, or how are you? Because, I mean, you, you both of these records, as someone who's seen your band enough times, like you guys do a really good job of, of making it feel like a live band, and like this is how your band sounds live. It, there's no, oh, you know. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and I think that's a really yeah, that's appealing nice. part of the record. So how do you guys ensure that vibe? Uh, I guess, yeah, we were doing it live off the floor and um, we just kind of face each other and look at each other just like we do in rehearsal and away we go. There's a couple, you know, we do the, the overdubs of some lead parts and this and that, but but no, like the rhythm guitar, the drums and the bass and and most of the the lead guitar and actually the steel we we actually did a lot of it live off the floor and then if there was the odd part that we were like oh poo poo on that then it would be like okay let's do some more takes of that but we did it all live off the floor actually and then if there were things that we didn't like we pulled them out and replaced them and such you like singing with the band while while you're recording like trying to get keeper tracks is that you know what you're well doing? we would do like a what do they call it? A scratch vocal. Yeah. Okay. It's Cause my voice gets, I actually almost always get sick during recording. I think just from stress, I get sick. Like this record, I got sick for one day, but it was just like one of those kind of stress sicknesses. But usually I get really sick. Like with, when we recorded curtains, I was really sick. When we recorded bad ideas, I was really sick. Even when I recorded love is brave, like way back, I was sick. So Buckley's, I always have Buckley's with me ready to go chugging it so normally it's like we can't overdo my vocals so we do a scratch vocal which is probably good to do anyway and then you know i don't do live off floor vocals just no fucking way sorry (laughs) can i say that you can say say whatever you want here yeah yeah i know hey there again folks as we approach the halfway point of today's episode i'd like to thank you for tuning in you're listening to the northern report podcast I'm your host, Sean Burns, and our guest today is Shayla Miller. I'll remind you to follow along with the Northern Report podcast and playlist on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Listen on YouTube, our anchor.fm home base, or wherever you find your podcasts. 
With big hair, small city, Shayla further cements her place as a cut above the rest in her region in terms of any kind of real, tangible honky-tonk or country music. Picking up where 2018's bad ideas left off, Amid the subtlety of Miller's classic sawdust boogie, Big Hair Small City shows her growing, refining, and maturing her signature tear-in-your-beer ballads, dance hall honky-tonk, and country noir. We'll dig back into her earlier years here in the back half of our chat. Next. Uh, like I said, like I, f- I feel like it, it picks up where bad ideas left off. Like, is that important to you that there's a common thread, like stylistically? You know, someone you know said, is, is this a departure from, or you know, is your sound changing or whatever? That's like, actually what that guy said to me, and I didn't know how to answer it. Is this a departure? Yeah. I was like, uh, no. But is that? Is, is, is you heard the record. Is it important yeah. to you that that they're not so different from one another? Not really, because actually. My next record, I've decided it's going to be like a full synth album, which is pretty crazy to hear for you, Sean, I'm sure. (laughs) But (laughs) I'll send you a song that we just recorded and you'll understand why I was actually going to start a secondary band and name it something else because I have a deep, deep love for like synth wave music. Mm -hmm. But I I, uh, lost a friend a while ago and it hit me like, like nothing before. And I... I wrote this song and I recorded it recently and with Taylor Ackerman and some local guys here and Tyler Bird. And um, it was uh, really quite beautiful. And we all said at the end, we're like, this doesn't even feel like a different band. This is like Shayla Miller has gone kind of synthy. So it's, it's the same songwriting. It's the same voice. It's the same lyrical style and, you know, the way I sing, but it's just got this other thing. So I guess to answer your question, it's a huge no. I don't feel like it's important to me that they connect because I'm about to do an extreme career (laughs) sound change and I'm completely devoted to that or else I wouldn't be voicing it here now with you but that's kind of cool so this is the first time I'm actually talking about it publicly that that's happening for my next record and I'll probably still have a couple country songs on it you know with maybe a few little synthy elements like you know we still have some steel on there a little bit but um, I don't think it matters as long as I don't know. The core of what I'm doing is me. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what those guys are saying. They're like, it's still you. Like, that's what people are after. And, and yeah, I like all kind of genres of music. So it's not really that important. When I was making Big Air Small City, though, I was, in, I was envisioning like a extreme, like I call my genre hardcore honky tonk. I was extreme. Like, when I say that, I mean like, not hardcore honky tonk and like this is the most honky tonk music in the world like it's not like i mean it like that like it's hardcore i mean like it's kind of like darker kind of badass honky tonk you know what i mean like i I don't know if everyone understands like that's kind of what i'm at and that's why i kind of also go with like country noir because i don't even know what that means but it kind of like to me it means something that's like 
alt country, but like not like generic, boring alt country. It's got like its own flavor. And I think no matter what genre of music I do moving forward, I'm always going to have that flavor and brand because it's the Shayla Miller brand, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like it's frustrating the, the, like the genre descriptions and even something like country music is so broad and can mean so many different things, but there is a darker element to a lot of what you're doing. And it's really sort of present in the early recordings uh, on the Shayla Miller threesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Which hugely. And you mentioned Tyler bird and, uh, and I wanted to bring it up because you guys are really close pals and you, and you, he's always singing with you and you guys sound great together. So how did you and Tyler connect? And can you tell the folks a little bit about him? Cause he is such a talented and uh, enlightened being. Oh yeah. That's such a nice question. Well, Tyler, Oh my gosh. Okay. So when I was like 15 and I'd already dropped out of school and that's another story for another time, but I used to spend all my time at HMV in the mall in Lethbridge and, um, Tyler and I are 10 years apart for perspective. So when you're 15, that's a big age gap because he's 25 and I'm like a child. Right. And he would come out of the back of the thing and he had a long ponytail to his butt. And it's like, I was like, Oh, and just like had the biggest crush on him. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, he was working there. And he was like so mysterious and like would kind of like half smile at me, but not like too much. Cause he saw me in there all the time. So I basically got to know the whole staff, except for this elusive Tyler bird that I knew who he was. He kind of would like give me the nod in there, but never like engage with me. And then fast forward a few years of me dreaming about him and I was working at the local music venue in Lethbridge called the Tongue Groove and he was playing there and a regular there and I was like, oh, you probably don't remember me. And he's like, yeah, I do. You're like that girl from HMV. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and I like, it's like, that's sweet. I never thought he would know who I was. So we ended up bonding there just as friends. We, I was a little older, a little bit less weird for him to be like my pal, you know? And then um, we got to be actually really good friends fast forward a few years and when I was like 21, we dated for two years. So my dreams came true. Yeah. My dreams came true. And Tyler Bird is like, as you know, one of the most talented musicians. Well, for me anyway, one of the most talented multi-instrumentalists that I've ever known. He can pick up anything. He writes amazing. His band is called Queen of the Worms and you can find him on all streaming apps and whatnot and he's he's incredible so he, i learned a lot from him and he taught me a lot even with in his tactful way of not being my boyfriend teaching me things but just just being there to i don't know or like oh yeah i like that yeah i like that i don't i don't know about that you know like in his very tactful way that wouldn't hurt my feelings like he's the only boyfriend i ever dated that was my musician that never we never fought about music it was anyway so i'm really rambling probably but i don't really care because tyler bird's the best and yeah so we started playing together kind of during the time that we started dating and we've been playing together ever since and it's almost been 15 years so we split up and there was never like a hiccup in us playing together we had a bit of a rough patch but we stayed really good friends and um 
we were always, I think, meant to be friends. But it's kind of a neat story of how I just like he was my dreamboat. And then it was like it's kind of like my song Friend Tonight, which I don't know if you know that song do, very yeah. well. But yeah. that song is like I think it's probably my best song. And it's that the lines get blurred sometimes between between friendships, whether you're who knows what gender doesn't matter but for me like a a girl boy gender in this in this circumstance and sometimes the lines get blurred and you don't quite know it's like I love you so much like does that mean I'm falling in love with you or are we just like do we just love each other so much and we're just meant to experience life together in some way but I haven't quite figured out what the fuck that is and so it can be a little bit confusing sometimes and I think that everyone can relate to that where you've like been with your friend and been like oh shit do I kind of love you a little bit am I like falling for you and like that's kind of that's not what I wrote that song about but it's a perfect example of that kind of relationship between two friends that can be so confusing sometimes and then we dated but then we were always just meant to be the best of friends and we still are I talk to him almost every day and he's my music like confidant i can show him any little dinky song i wrote and it'll be the same thing that it was when we were together he's like eh, i don't know or it'll be like oh yeah 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 i like that a lot he's got a real broad, <laughs> yeah he's got a really broad taste in music as well he does oh uh, hugely so he was in the in the shayla miller threesome and so was paul your current bass player yeah exactly yeah so were you guys just playing uh locally or were you doing any touring or what what was that because that's before i knew you uh i never saw that's that that's that was mostly like just Calgary. Like we did Alberta touring. Like okay. we do like Edmonton, Calgary, um, small towns like Nanton and Black Diamond and whatever, like places like that, that Twin Butte shit. So that really got your name out there like regionally. It's just like I had two bands before that and they weren't my name. It was when my first band was called Lace Reals and my second band was Red Wine Smile. And when I finished Red Wine Smile, which was a really big hit in this little area that I'm in, yeah. um, I was like so annoyed with like why now I have to be like, it's Shayla Miller of Red Wine Smile, like on posters. I was putting that out because <laughs> people like, because no popular. one knew. Yeah, because yeah. it was really popular. But then when I branched off, I'm like, I'm I'm done with band names. I'm done. Like it's just Shayla Miller. And then if we think of the Shayla Miller and those, great. Mm -hmm. But we all collectively decided so many times. I'm like, I feel like you guys need a name. And they're like, we don't need a name. We're Shayla Miller. <laughs> like okay, because <laughs> we couldn't think of a name that suited. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's why I switched to Shayla Miller. And I like you know, like you have to go by your name if you're. I don't know. I That's agree. how I feel. Uh, the yeah. song, uh, the song "Lonely" has uh, by you know has quite quite a quite a bit of Spotify streams, and uh, and I learned recently that it was in an episode of True Blood. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? I recorded with Tim Fian, who is a Alberta guy, Edmonton guy that now has lived in LA for many many years. He did soundtracks for like Saint Elmo's Fire. He used to produce Tiffany like really random shit back in like the eighties. Yeah. And, um, he f saw me play at the ski hill, like around that Shayla Miller threesome time. And he said, come down to LA and let's record and, and do the thing. And I was scared to go. And 
um, Mark Faduke of the Uncas. I was really close with the Uncas guys at the time, an Edmonton band that I think is defunct now and has been for a while. But you know who I'm talking about, right? They do, yeah. They have the some Uncas, good shit. Yeah. 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 So Mark and I were buddies and I told him, I'm like, and he's like, my brother lives in LA. I'll go with you just for fun. I'll drive you and like split the gas and all this shit. And then Tim was going to pay for our hotel while we were there anyway. And so I recorded a few songs with him and I even co-wrote a song with him there. One of my few co-writing experiences. Anyway, when I come home from that trip, he's turned my songs into something that I couldn't really stand behind it just wasn't my sound it was Mm. a little too poppy country for me but lonely was one of them and he ended up uh pitching it to a few shows and was like um you know messaging me like oh it was actually first gonna one of the songs was first gonna be on um what the hell is that show the trailer guy my name is earl is that it Yeah, yeah my name is earl yeah, and then that one didn't go through, but then but then True Blood came, because uh, I basically said, put the songs in the vault. I, like, cried when I heard them, and I'm like, you know, thanks for the great experience. Thanks for letting me pet your mini horse in your backyard in the hills of L.A., but I'm like, <laughs> I can't sucks. do it. Yeah, like, <laughs> so so then, yeah, he just kind of messaged me and was like, hey, I pitched it to True Blood and it's going on like two years after I'd said put it in the vault kind of thing. Wow. And I really liked him and I really liked my experience with him and it was a really great time, but it, it just left me feeling a little bit defeated, feeling like, because I really thought he got my sound and he got my vibe and he just like didn't. And that was just, I see now looking back that it was like, that was just like a total miscommunication where if I would have said, Hey, take out the juice harp and the banjos and maybe the mandolin, maybe we're onto something and add a little bit more of this. But I was such a, I was only like 22, 21 was barely old enough to get into the bars down there. So I didn't know, like, what do I say? And said, I just cried and I was like, never, (laughs) I'd never want to hear those songs again. (laughs) Well, lonely, like something about that song, like listening to the record the other day, it stands out and I, and I can see why, uh, you know, why it ended up being, placed somewhere but uh i think a couple of my favorites are halfway in love and vicious bitches and i'm wondering <laughs> what your relationship with that record and those songs are like today like do you play any of those tunes live still well those uh, that album is like lethbridge famous like it really <laughs> is when i go out it's like you know people get songs shouted at them like stupid Freebird or fucking wagon wheel or whatever and he in lethbridge is like play vicious bitches play lonely <laughs> and i'm like oh my god i'm promoting something else i have to play those songs though so when we're doing a lethbridge show yeah when we're doing a lethbridge show if we're rehearsing for it if we hadn't if we haven't played for a little bit and we want to get together and rehearse it's like hey we got to go through halfway in love my baby don't make me happy vicious bitches and lonely all those songs and loving me and even i don't have a friend in you no more and country love song those and tears drops on my boots like those are the songs people they pretty much most of the record like excluding like and station which is like a piano ballad on that album but the the record i put out before that which wasn't like a full length but it was an ep station was on that and it rips like that's why when we recorded that love is brave we were like we want to do station, but it rips so hard on the EP that we don't want to ruin what we've, we, what we've done. I'll send that to you sometime. It's pretty yeah. good. 
I didn't so know that anyway, EP existed. Tyler and I recorded that as like a piano ballad. What's that? I didn't know that the EP existed. Oh yeah, there's a few. There's some. There's some recordings of me that you probably don't know. Like there's a red wine smile and Les Sangreals one. No, I had which no is, idea. Like, crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so when we did the, when we do Lethbridge, we have to and like it's it's fun because people are like at the front of the stage <laughs> like i feel like i'm a superstar and they sing all the words and they're closing their eyes and swaying and arms in the air and i'm just like you know there's that saying like if you can't make it in your own city you can't make it anywhere and i'm like i've fucking made it in my own city and it feels so good to have the support i do in lethbridge what about uh, uh, the record Curtains, which happens a couple, two or three years later with Treeline? They had done some sort of regional touring and were uh, an established yeah. outfit. H- how did that happen that you, uh, you know, made a record with those guys? Well, those guys, um, those guys, this is a funny story, which Ryan maybe never told you, but we just talked about it the other night and I demanded he give me props for turning him on to country music because I said, I fucking know dude and i was kind of drunk and i was like you better like this has pissed me off for years but i've never felt like i need to say it but i'm like give me some damn props and he was laughing so hard and he's like hey shayla you turned us from a blues band to a country band okay we were so amazed at how well you were doing with country music. really and i'm like thank you and he's like yeah i started writing country so what happened was i had jackson right after love is brave came out i was like 10 I was like, how, I don't know. I was like 10 or 12 weeks pregnant when I found out, like when I found out I was 10 or 12 weeks pregnant, my album was coming out in like two months and it was already all planned. Mm -hmm. And it was a big surprise pregnancy. And I was like, holy moly, I spent all this money and here I am pregnant and I'm about to, to do this thing. And I released that album. And then right around that time that I had been recording that and I had been setting up to record it, playing all these shows, writing all the songs, you know, those guys were a blues trio and Tyler who was playing with me at the time said when I was kind of slowing down and like whatever with getting a baby in me, he was like, he, he was like, do you care if I play with tree line? And I was like, what are you going to do with those guys? Like, you know, like we would go out to their shows and we would kind of like, it was, ta- but they started out Taylor and Ryan on acoustic guitars as a duo. And I remember Tyler and I was like, we're like, oh, it's that Taylor Ackerman guy and his jock buddy from high school. And we're like, okay, well, let's go check them out. And we're like, what is this? <laughs> I've talked to them about this lots. So I don't care if they listen to this, but anyway, they, they started out in this weird way and then came into country music slowly because Ryan was like, inspired by my country and i just was like that happened and i saw it and so he's giving me props so anyway long story short i'm really rambling but he's like shayla should do a split album together he just said it to me because he did it one with sean brewer they did one with sean brewer and that came out like the year after i released love is brave they they put that out and then we had started to date a little bit and he was like would you consider doing a split album with us? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like I was all on board. So that's how it happened. Like Treeline and Shayla Miller threesome started playing shows together. And once they became country, 
it was like, okay, yeah, let's double bill. And Taylor started playing with us. So the Shayla Miller threesome was like a foursome, mm-hmm. but I still called it the threesome because I considered them the threesome and me Shayla Miller, you know? Yeah. So it started out as me and Tyler and Paul, but then once Taylor joined, we just kept the name the same. And then Taylor played also in Treeline. So then we were doing these double bills and that's kind of how it happened. And just like, he wanted to learn this duet and then we would kind of work on it. And then it was like, let's, let's do this. So that's how that happened. Do you like that record? I love that record. There's one song on it of mine that I don't want to ever hear again, but the whole album as a whole, I think it's magnificent. I love it. Yeah. So, so how did you come to country music then? Like, was it around your house when you were a kid or? Well, yeah, it was around my house when I was a kid and a lot. Like, my parents were hardcore country music fans. And you grew up out in Victoria? Yep, in Victoria. And my parents both loved country music, old school country, plus what was current at the times, which was like mid-90s. And I hated that stuff, but I loved, loved, loved the old stuff. My dad loved Roy Orbison and he loved the Everly Brothers. So not just country, but like old, old rock and roll country, you know? And then also my mom was is and was a huge Dolly Parton fan, a huge Patsy Cline fan, Loretta Lynn, Tammy Wynette. So it was like I was raised on these greats. My grandma loved the dudes like George Jones, Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash, Waylon, you know, all that old stuff my grandma loved. So when I go to my grandma's, it was that. So I was getting a lot of country music all around me, so much to the point that I never thought I actually liked it. And then I went when I was a teenager and I started to love music at a really young age. Like my first album I bought with my own money that I begged and pleaded from my mom. I was nine years old. I bought Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream was my first album. I was obsessed with it. And there's a song on the back of that record that does silver, that's called Silver Fuck. And I had to like put nail polish over top of the F word to like, cause my family's Mormon and they were like, you can't have that. I'm like, mom, I swear they don't say the word in the song. I swear. (laughs) And so she got it for me. So I got into like heavy grunge and, you know, punk. And then I got into industrial. It's like a hardcore Nine Inch Nails fan, Depeche Mode, The Cure, all kinds of stuff. V&V Nation, Pig, Skinny Pucky. Skinny Puppy Ogre, like stuff that people are like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like listening to like really, really heavy music for a long time. And then when I started playing guitar, I immediately started playing acoustic and I was like playing kind of just trying to get to know the chords. And then when you're strumming an acoustic guitar, it's like, especially at that age, it's going to remind you of other acoustic guitars you've heard in your life. And if you're not listening to any music that has acoustic guitars in it, I went backwards and I was thinking about like all that music I was raised on and it just kind of happened. And I already talked about my HMV days. Yeah. So one day I go in there and I used to always shop from the $5 bins. You could buy like, you know, five for 25 or four for 20 or whatever. And I'd go in and, and I would always buy my, my, obscure and whatever grungy industrial records. And, and I was really nervous because I found this Patsy Cline 24 song, the Patsy Cline story. And I remembered my, my loving her voice when I was a kid and was like kind of nervous. And I was looking on the back. Oh yeah, it has, it has the few songs I remember. Like I fall to pieces and crazy and stuff like that. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember those songs. And then I remember going to the desk and it wasn't T-Bird that was there. It was this guy Byron. And he was like, 
and he could tell like my whole like disposition was like off and i was like kind of wouldn't make eye contact and i was like <laughs> looking side to side like i was embarrassed and he just like grabbed my hand he's like shayla this is an amazing choice for you and like he could nice. just read me and he was like this is really good music and you're gonna love this and i was like really <laughs> and he's like yeah and i'm like sweet and that was it like i bought that and i got obsessed with patsy klein so i was about 16 and i was like listening to on one hand all this music i just talked about and then like patsy klein and then and then it started from there and then my grade 10 teacher would write in my i had to write a journal every morning and she's like i think you should listen to bob dylan and her responses to me and she would always tell me what songs to write and her name's april hutchinson you probably know her i know april yeah yeah she's one of like high river and south country fair yeah so she was my grade 10 teacher and she took me to my first open mic in lethbridge when i was 15 wow she took me and i'm like april she was my grade 10 teacher that's crazy i had no idea yeah so she she really like pushed me along in the right direction and she got me into tom waits and she got me to bob dylan and so then my my musical uh everything i love just like broadened and broadened and i was like wow that's uh the world is my oyster and then that's when i learned that i thought i was listening to the saddest music on earth and i really wasn't because country music is truly the saddest music <laughs> on earth <laughs> well when did you realize that that you could sing and, and when did you decide you wanted to play well i was um i played bait i bought my bass from my my money from i had a paper route and i was only doing it so i could buy a bass because my boyfriend that i dated for three years wayne he was an amazing guitar player. And so he, I wanted to play bass with him and his, our friend Mike. And I was like, well, you guys are playing guitar and you're so good. Like, uh, I better play bass. So I got a bass when I was 14. And I learned, like, I, that was back in the days of, like, printing off tabs off the computer. Yeah. And I had, like, a binder full of, like, sublime tabs and shit. And I was learning all these crazy, like, date rape songs that are, like, insane bass lines. And I was like, I'm not very good. And I'm like, boom, 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 Like, oh, yeah, I'm actually not so bad. And so bass is actually my first instrument, and I was obsessed with it. But then I started to, like, go up on the D and the G string, like, way up on the neck and start strumming. And I was writing things like weird melodic shit and i was like wayne this boyfriend of mine and mike they were like you should play guitar and then so they both started to teach me guitar and that's kind of how it happened and then i remember like saying to wayne one day i'm like i wish i could sing and he's like he's like to me he's like you can sing <laughs> i was like can i <laughs> and then i just like i just got obsessed with like trying to learn how to sing and play at the same time because i would sing in the shower and stuff like that but like as an early player anyone who plays knows that beginning that crossing that threshold of being able to learn how to play and sing at the same time is hard it's like patting your belly and rubbing your head or vice yeah. versa it's like it's really fucked up so if you don't actually like you have to really try to do it and it, it takes a lot of practice so i was really getting quite good at rhythm guitar but my fingers are like rock hard like no one can fuck with my fingers i could, like <laughs> couldn't even stick a needle into them like i was obsessed with playing it was insane so then i then i just like focused on that and so by the time i was i was probably playing guitar 15 by the time i was 16 i was writing and i was performing during that year of being 16 i started going to open mics in lethbridge yeah and it's much like i was actually uh 
I've seen Mayor Matt Allen a few times in the last week or so, and he was telling me about these places in Lethbridge in those days that are long gone. There was like a Starlight, maybe or something. Yeah, like the that. Starlight. Yeah. So you were playing all those places, Tongue and Groove. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, April took me to the Starlight when I was 15, and she tried to get me to go on stage, and I wasn't ready. She's like, took me to open mic. She's like, you have to play, and I was like. I can't, I'm too scared and all that stuff. So I was 16 when I finally did play and I played the first time at the Lethbridge Folk Club. And then as soon as I got on stage there about two or three times, I was stealing my sister's ID, which I never <laughs> needed, by the way, because no one ever ID'd me at the Tongue Groove. But I walked, as soon as you walk into a bar with a guitar, at least in those days, they just look at you and they're like, oh, you belong. It's fine. Mm -hmm. We're not going to ID you or whatever. And then they'd hear me on stage and they're like, oh, yeah, she's she's cool. Whatever. They tried <laughs> to hire me before I was even 18. They were like, I was like, no, I can't work here. And they wouldn't tell them why. I'm like, no, I can't work here. I can't work here. And finally, I started working there. Well, I went there one day and they're like, it, I'm like, it's my birthday. And, and I had already become friends with everyone. there, like super tight. And they were like, how old are you? I'm like, 18. <laughs> and they were like, what? And they were laughing so hard. They're like, you fucker. I'm like, I know. <laughs> was there a, a little rascal? Was there bands touring through Lethbridge in those days that uh, you became a fan of? Oh, yeah. Like lots of Winnipeg bands, like the Perpetrators, Rami, the D Rangers. Uh, who else was coming through from when it was like, and Elliot Brood from Ontario, oh, yeah. like Elliot Brood was there a lot and we became really close. Perps, we became really close. Rami, D Rangers, uh, Carolyn Mark, like stuff from the, the West coast, uh, Carolyn, Lily, that, all that crew, like Lily Fawn and, mm -hmm. um, like Hank and Lily stuff. The, those were my, that, that was, and they just like all took me under their wing. Like I would open up for them. I was even doing sound at the tongue groove at the time. And I can't even believe that they ever trusted me to do that. Now looking <laughs> back, I'm like, I had no idea, but I was actually doing sound for bands. I was hosting the open mic every Sunday night for two and a half years and doing sound for anyone who came on stage. And so I got to know like the whole local scene and then every band that came through i was working like five nights a week and um yeah it was it was quite a time that's how i met leroy too way back this is before he quit drinking like i remember him like shittered at the tongue groove <laughs> like causing a shit storm and then the slice kind of took over locally there as as the spot for local and touring bands and uh most recently you were doing the the windy city opry uh once a month is, is that something that you're going to resume you think moving forward my plan is to do seasonally. So I think I'm going to, instead of doing it Wednesdays, like I was, I'm happy I did it Wednesdays once a month for almost four years. But when it comes down to it, it was starting even before the pandemic, it was really starting to peter out in Lethbridge. And I, I don't know. I mean, the whole world, not just Lethbridge is going to have a new found, like, love and appreciation for music after not having it for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I could maybe be, do it again, but it was pretty, pretty taxing on like time. And, you know, I loved it, but when people wouldn't show up, it would be like, damn it. Like, you yeah. know, this is so frustrating, you know, like I want to have a good crowd for these bands, which are mostly my friends. I'm like, you know, and I know how it is to be, to be playing a Wednesday and having not enough audience. So I'm thinking of doing seasonally doing a fall winter 
summer spring show and just doing it on a Friday and just having it a real like it being like a real like rip roaring like Friday night at the slice That's like a great idea showcase yeah so then it's less work and more fun in the meantime uh, where can uh, where can people what's the best place for people to go to support you to buy music from you I have a a pre-sale campaign of merch for this new record and you can go to it on my website shaylamiller.com or find it through any kind of social media platform i've posted about it and you can get the link there but i've got vinyl coming and new t-shirts and cds and patches so there's there's yeah i'm gonna yeah they're gonna come and it's gonna be fun but you know it is like you you spend so much of your money on um that you make on the road, save it up for these kinds of things. So not being touring for all this time or playing any shows at all. It's like, that's where all my money, you know, my music money goes back into my music. My, my hairstyling money goes into my mortgage and my food, you know, (laughs) I can't like, I can't really swap the two. So it's been really hard to, to, to save up for that stuff. So having this pre-sale campaign is help is, helping a lot and we'll be able to get everything we we want to enjoy this album in its full full way well it's a real nice record congratulations again and uh it's nice to talk to you pal thanks for for taking the time here hey thanks for asking me to to do this i'm it was great well friends i hope you've enjoyed my chat with shayla miller thank you to shayla once again for taking the time to join us on the show Find Shayla's albums wherever you're streaming music for a nominal monthly fee or check her out at shaylamiller.com. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the folks that I've covered in the Hockey Talk Times as well as here on the podcast. If you dig the show, I'll respectfully request you to subscribe, follow, like, share, leave us a rating, wherever you do that kind of thing. And thank you very much. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots, Central Alberta's finest honky tonkers. Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends to regional stars to the cream of the Canadian crop, you'll find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Hey, you got anything for me? Here I sit, fattened on the promise of love and trail mix forever.